Thank you, Pastor Joe. If the offering plate's gone by, you could just stand. And once the offering plate has gone by, you can stand. But can we stand together? I want to lead us in prayer today. How many people believe that God can do the supernatural? Do you believe that today? Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And uh, there's people you've walked in today with sickness in your body. You need healing. There's people you've walked in. You're facing a mountain in life. You need God just to bring breakthrough. And we just want to we wanna call upon the Lord and just agree with you in prayer. And uh, before we come to God's word, if you're comfortable to do this, just feel free to lift your hands. Father, thank you for this amazing church. Thank you, God, for all the cool, great things you're doing. And uh, I pray, God, for those in this place that need a miracle, may they receive a miracle in Jesus' name. Touch those that are sick in body. I pray, God, for those that need a miracle of healing, would you be their healer this morning? For those that need a miracle in the home, would you be the God who does a miracle in the home? For those that need a, a breakthrough of provision, would you be their provider in Jesus' name? Whatever they need, God, would you meet it? We also pause and pray for our young adults that are away this weekend on retreat probably in the final moments of their final service. We pray for Pastor Kyle and Pastor Matt and our young adults. Give them a great final service and give them a great ride and safe ride home. We commit the rest of the service to you. Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together and celebrate our God one more time? Amen. Well, take a seat. Take a seat. How many people are ready for God's word? You ready for God's word? I mean, you're not the 9 o'clock service lost an hour, but they still made it at 9. You're the 11 o'clock service. You're doing fine. You get coffee in you. You're doing great. How many people are glad to be in God's house this morning? How many people are pumped to be here? And it's just fun. Sunday is fun day. A shout out, welcome to our online church, people in our city, our country, in the world that have joined in today. We honestly are so glad that you're here today. Because we love God, we love His Word. Amen? And so I want you to flip over your bulletin. There's a sermon outlined there. We are in our March sermon series that we're calling Relentless. And we're looking at some relentless themes that God wants us to be relentless about. Last week, we talked about relentless change, and we launched the Easter vision. And uh, we're pumped to have those three morning celebrations, Easter Sunday, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock. And you filled that prayer wall, as Pastor Joe said. And you're praying for the one, you're inviting the one, and you're bringing the one. And we're just believing God just to do great things. So pick up invitations on your way out this morning. And may the church go ballistic. Amen. And if you weren't here last Sunday, go online, listen to the sermon. It's all there. Everybody say today. Today I want to talk to you about relentless living. And um, now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of Brussels sprouts and I'm not a big fan of broccoli, but I know I need broccoli, and I know I need Brussels sprouts. I like having pizza. I like having French fries. Now, the sermon today is the broccoli and the Brussels sprout sermon, all right? And uh, I'm going to share with you some honest, hard, transparent thoughts. And uh, I just really feel the Lord stirring me some thoughts from Isaiah chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, handheld device... And if you don't have that, you can see the words on the screen. I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah was a prophet of God that God used to speak. And by the time you get to Isaiah chapter 5, he sings his message. It's, it's a sermon in song. It's a prophetic word in a song. Now, here's what you're going to discover. It's a song that went wrong. And you're going to go, wow, I didn't see that coming. It's a song that goes wrong. First seven verses are the introduction. We're going to camp in a couple moments on verse 8, a few verses down to verse 24. But let's get right into it. So if you're ready, 
And I know you're awake. If you're ready, can we all together say ready? One, two, three, ready. Verse one, I will sing for the one I love. So Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God. I will sing for the one I love. God is speaking through him. God said, I'm going to sing for the one I love. A song about his vineyard. Let's push pause. It's an agricultural theme. And in that day, vineyards were common. Anybody seen uh, a grape vineyard before? You've seen the grapes on the vine. If you were raised in the Niagara area, there's vineyards everywhere. If you've ever been to uh, Prince Edward County in the Picton area, there's a lot of vineyards there. It's all cool to see. If you go to Israel on the hills of Judea, there's a lot of vineyards. And back in those days, there was a lot of vineyards on the hills. So here it is. I'll sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. Everyone's going, yeah, we know the vineyard thing. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. So they would often build their vineyards on the hillside because that's where the good soil was. Look at verse 2. He dug it up. Well, they got to dig up the land. They got to get the soil ready. They got to cultivate. It's a lot of work. Cleared it of all its stones. And there'd be a lot of stones, and they'd have to lift them up, get them out of there. It often took one year to get the soil ready to plant the vineyard. One year. They didn't have automatic graders. They had manual labor, and they would pick it up themselves. He dug up, cleaned up his stones, planted it with the choicest vines. All right, they're building their vineyard. He built a watchtower in it. A watchtower is just a high place. They'd stand in, look out, see if the animals are coming to to, to eat away at the vineyards. They didn't want the animals to come in and eat away. So they'd stand in the watchtower and watch and protect the vineyard. And they'd even cut out a wine press as well. Why not? If you're going to have a vineyard, have the wine press right there. We'll do the whole thing right there. Then it says he looked for a crop of good grapes. Now, probably three years have gone by, one year to prepare it, another year to plant it. Months go by. We're now in the third year. It should go well. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Anybody ever ate a sour grape? It's awful. And it's horrible. Now, the Hebrew word that's used here for bad doesn't just mean sour. It means stinky. It means smelly. And sometimes when grapes go bad, they stink. They smell. They're horrible. And if you don't believe me, leave grapes on your counter on a hot day, human hot day for weeks. They will go bad, and they will stink, and they will smell. So Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God, and he's singing this song. Now come down to verse 3. Isaiah says, God speaks to Isaiah. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem, you people who live in Jerusalem, and you people of Judah... Judge between me and my vineyard. You be the judge. Look at verse 4. What more could have been done for my vineyard? What else could I do? What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? The answer is, I don't know. You've done everything you can. You cleaned out the rocks. You built it on the fertile soil on the hills. You planted the best. We should have got a good crop. We should have got some good grapes from the vines, but it didn't work out well. The answer would be, I don't know what else you could do. Latter part of verse 4, when I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad grapes? I don't know. Why are they stinky? Why are they smelly? Why are all these grapes bad? Now look at verse 5. God speaks to Isaiah, now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. Now the song goes wrong. I'm going to take away its hedge. The hedge was made of stone. And God's using the agriculture analogy. I'm going to rip away the stones, and it will be destroyed. God said, I'm going to destroy. I'm going to destroy the vines. I'll break down its walls, and it will be trampled. I'm going to go in, 
and I'm going to trample on all those grapes. I'm going to ruin your vineyard. It's not a good scene. It's over. It's finished. Look at verse 6. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. If you want the vineyard to keep growing, you've got to prune away the bad. You've got to keep cultivating it. And God says to Isaiah, mm-mm, going to trample on it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to prune it. I'm not going to cultivate it. It's going to be wasteland. And the briars and the thorns will grow there. If you leave it unattended, I mean, all the bad's going to grow up. Not good. And finally, God says, I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And you're going, wow, Pastor Mark, I just want to shout amen right now. This is the most encouraging passage of Scripture you've read to us before. This is the Brussels sprouts. This is the, yeah, it's, it's the liver. It's the stuff you don't always want, but it's good for us. And so we're going we're gonna to learn something this morning, but let's come to verse 7, because finally in verse 7, God tells us what it's all about. And he says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty, I'm talking about God's vineyard, is the nation of Israel. And all the Jewish people are like, really? You're talking about us? We're the sour grapes? Now let me push pause Please, nobody go home today and say, Pastor Mark called us stinky, smelly, sour grapes. I am not calling you stinky, smelly, sour grapes. But in this, parab- in this song, the vineyard is the nation of Israel. And he said, the people of Judah are the vines that he delights in. They're the vines that he delights in. Then the latter part of verse 7, uh, verse, verse 7, he said, And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness... But he heard cries of distress. Now, look this way. In the Hebrew culture, there was a poetic way of speaking where you would use a word that was similar to another word, but it meant the opposite thing. Almost spelled the same, but it meant the opposite. And he uses here Hebrew words that are almost spelled the same, but they're the opposites. Like, I I looked for justice. That's what I expected, but I got bloodshed. Almost the same Hebrew word, but different meaning. I was looking for righteousness, almost the same Hebrew word, but I heard cries of distress. And so God is speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah sings a song, and the song goes wrong, and God says to Isaiah, I'm talking about you. Now, I'm going to walk you now through something in verse 8 down to verse 24, and I know it's written to the Jewish people, but I think there's some application to us and if we open our heart, God wants to say something to us. Now, look look at your Bible. You're going to see the word woe. Everybody say woe. One, two, three, woe. We could do better than that. One, two, three, woe. The word woe is found in verse, verse 8. You'll see it right there, woe to you. It's found in verse 11, woe to those. It's found in verse 18, woe to those. Found in verse 20, woe to those. Found in verse 21, Woe to those, and it's found in verse 22, woe to those. Now, the word woe is an interesting word. It doesn't mean slow down. It's not like you're driving in the car, and your spouse is driving too fast, and you go, woe. That's not what it means. In the ancient Hebrew, it's translated woe. It means this is bad for you. This means you are in trouble. But it also means when you scrape into the deeper core of the Hebrew word, It doesn't need to be this way. This is unnecessary. It's a word of sorrow. And God speaks through Isaiah to speak to the people of Israel stuff and things that were going on in their life 
that were stopping them from walking under the blessing of God, that was stopping them from living right living, a righteous, godly life. This morning, I want to give you eight quick thoughts. I'm going to give you eight words. We're going to look at a couple of verses. And to help us, all these words start with the letter E. This sermon is brought to you this morning by the letter E. How many people watched Sesame Street growing up? You'll get that one. You go, I don't know, Sesame Street, what's that? All right. The first word that I want you to write in your note, number one, emptiness. Emptiness. And I want to take you to verse number eight. And I want to read to you verse eight. And I want to, I want to explain to you what God said to the Jewish people and what I believe God would say to us today. He said, woe to you. This isn't good. You're in trouble. It doesn't need to be this way. This is unnecessary. This is doom. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Here's what was going on. The Jewish people owned a house and it wasn't big enough. So they would take over the house beside them and they would force the people out and they would buy it for less money than it was worth. And they would take over and they pushed them out and it still wasn't enough. So they pushed the people out of the house beside that. Before long, they were owning a lot of houses and a lot of land, house, 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 land, 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 And all of a sudden, there's nobody living near them because they had forced everybody out of the houses and they took over it and paid them little money, house after house, land after land. And then God says to Isaiah to tell them, tell there's no space left and you live alone in the land. They were living alone in this huge house with houses beside it with land, and there was nobody near them, and they were all alone. I want to talk to you for a few moments about emptiness. And I want to share with you that sometimes we can be gripped by the same thing that the Jewish people were gripped by. And if I could describe it in one word, it's the word greed. I mean, we just want more. We buy things we don't need with money we don't necessarily have, to impress people, we're not even sure that we like them. Isn't that right? And sometimes we we think the more we own, the more we have, we're going to be fulfilled, only to discover that there's a feeling of emptiness that comes with stuff. Things will never satisfy you. I think the opposite of greed is generosity. And I felt the Lord say to me, I'll tell you, if I'm preaching to nobody today, I'm preaching to myself. I felt the Lord convict me as I was studying Isaiah chapter 5. God, is there any greed in my life? Is there any part of me that's greedy? God, I don't want greed in my life. I want generosity. I don't want to live with a closed hand. I want to live with an open hand. Because greed doesn't bring satisfaction, but generosity leads to satisfaction. Greed can lead to an empty feeling, but I'll tell you, the happiest people on planet Earth are the most generous people. Generosity leads to fulfillment, and greed leads to emptiness. And I want to call us and I want to challenge us in the house today to live a life of generosity. You want to be happy? Be generous. Can somebody risk a little amen this morning? If you want to be happy, be generous. Don't let greed grip you. Emptiness, number one. The second word that I want to give to you, number two, is escape. 
escape. Now, I want to take you to verse 11 and verse 12. And I want to read to you verse 11, and then I'll segue to verse 12. He said, woe to those who rise early in the morning. Now, it's not getting up in the morning early that's the problem. It's what you do in the morning and what's your priority and what's this all about. Now, how many people are married? If you're married, lift up your hand. Just put up, I'm, going, I'm going somewhere with this. Put your hand down. Anybody who's married, you like to get up real early in the morning. If that's you, lift up your hand. Put your hand out. Now, if you lifted up your hand that you like to get up early in the morning, any of you lifted up your hand who like to get up early in the morning are married to someone who likes to stay up late at night. That's me. It's amazing. I mean, Evelyn's the night hawk. I'm the early bird. And in the scar house, I'm in bed long before Evelyn. And she'll get in bed. She's got a little light, puts on her book, starts to read. And honey, you heard me say this more than once. Oh, come on. Can you turn that light out? And she just wants to read. She likes staying up late. I'm, I'm, we're just opposite, right? And so he says, woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks. Wow who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. And he's talking about Jewish people that would get up early in the morning, and the first thing that they craved was their wine. Oh, I can't wait for my wine. Now, here's confession. And I, I, whoa, are you ready for this one? I must confess to you, sometimes before I go to sleep, I'm dreaming and thinking about the coffee that I'm going to drink first thing in the morning. Anybody else like that? I, I, I confess it. I can't wait to have that one coffee. I'm not addicted. I have one in the morning. I might have one at night, but I must tell you, sometimes when I go to bed, I crave my coffee. I don't know what you crave, but what I see here is the Jewish people were craving their wine, and they became inflamed with their wine, and it became their escape. It became everything to them. They were consumed with their wine. They couldn't wait to get up to start their drink in the morning. And by the time it comes to the evening, they are inflamed with their wine. Church, hear me today. I want you to be craving Jesus. I want, you to, I want Jesus to be the most important thing in your life. I want you, when you get up in the morning, say, Jesus, you're my everything. Jesus, you're my all. You're the one that I'm craving for. You're the one that I'm longing for. Now, now some people get so bound by alcohol, it leads to drunkenness. Drunkenness is sin. We know that. And alcoholism is often an escape to hide something. And there's other isms, workaholism, alcoholism. And sometimes those isms become our escape because we're not dealing with something inside of us. And God's people became drunkards and they couldn't wait to get up to have their wine. And by the time the evening came, they are inflamed with their wine. I want us to be inflamed with Jesus. Come on, I was hoping I'd get a little shout right there. I want us to be inflamed with Jesus. I want us to be intoxicated with Jesus. I want us to, to be so inebriated with the presence of God. I want us to be so saturated and so soaked in Jesus that, that we're, we're hooked on Jesus. That we're so hooked on Jesus. I'm telling you, I'll tell you, the greatest high you can get is Jesus. Amen? The one that can give you anything and everything is Jesus. 
they got up in the morning and they were craving for their wine and they became inflamed with their wine and they became drunkards and it was their escapism. I, I want us to be so consumed, so consumed with Jesus. Let me take you to word number three. The third word, I'm sorry, I, I got to read verse, I got to read the next verse, sorry. I want to read verse 12. In verse 12, it says they have harps and lyres at their banquets. They love their parties, love their banquets. They got their harps, their lyres, pipes and timbrels, and of course, wine. But they had no regard for the deeds of the Lord. They had no regard for the deeds of the Lord. And they had no respect for the work of his hand. They lost focus. They lost priority. They were craving their wine. They weren't craving God. And they lost their respect and their regard for the works of God. I pray that we would have respect for God and respect for his works. And we would crave Jesus more than anything, anything else. Come on, somebody risk a little amen. Amen. I tell you, Jesus is my everything. I'd be lost without Jesus. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's my alpha. He's my omega. He's my beginning. He's my end. He's my savior, my healer, my baptizer. He's my sweet, my soon coming king. He's my sweet rose of Sharon. He's my faithful one. He's my rock. He's my refuge. Are you hearing me today? My Jesus is my everything. My Jesus. My Jesus, what are you craving? What are you craving? What are you craving? The third word that I want to offer to you, number three, is the word embrace. And I want to take you to verse 18 and verse 19. And verse 18 and 19 are, are they're clincher verses. And I, I tell you, they're a little confusing. Let me explain it. Verse 18, woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. I read that and I thought, man, what does that mean? Now, I'm going to read to you verse 19 in a moment. Verse 18 Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit, wickedness as with cart ropes. So there's ropes, there's carts, and there's deceit. Now in that culture, they would actually have a cart that they would put their animal of sacrifice on. They did. And they would pull their their cart with a rope to the place of worship. And so when they're on the way to the place of worship, they're pulling their cart, and on the cart, would be the animal that they were bringing to the place of worship to sacrifice to God. The the animal would be on the cart, and they're pulling the cart. And God speaks to Isaiah, and and he says to them, you you draw sin, not, not worship, but sin, along with cords of deceit. Now, deceit is a strong word, and deceit means you're trying to portray one thing, but, but, but the truth is what you're portraying is not true. It's almost like there's a lie, and you're trying to show one thing, but on the inside, it's something else. You want everyone to think one thing, but it's something else. Now, this is going to sound like a stupid illustration, but, and, and I'm not trying to deceive you at all, but some of you are like, wow, pastor, you get up there, and you're preaching from your Bible, and you've memorized your sermon. I, I, I do memorize my sermon. It's in my head. It's in my heart, but, but just so you don't think I'm, I'm so special and I I can remember everything, I've actually written some notes in my Bible, all right? It's right there. It's right there. And sometimes with deceit, we give the impression of one thing, and and it's, 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 but it's not true. And the Jewish people in that day were pulling their worship with cords of deceit. 
And they're pretending that they're, they're these spiritual people, but, but, but they weren't. They were building houses and buying houses and taking over houses. And they were, they were marked with greed and, and they were consumed with alcohol. And, and some people ask me from time to time, Mark, Mark, do you drink alcohol? I don't drink alcohol. I know it's not a sin and I know drunkenness is a sin. But Mark, why don't you drink alcohol? Let me just give you the bottom line. And there's three reasons. And the first reason is not the most important reason, but it's a reason. I signed a paper when I became a, a reverend and a credential holder with the Pentecostal Sims of Canada that I won't drink alcohol, but even if they let me drink it, I wouldn't. The the real reason is this. If I can cut to the bottom line, I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone when they look at me and they say, wow, he drinks alcohol. And and, and, and then someone else would drink alcohol because they see me drink alcohol and they can't handle their alcohol and their alcohol became alcoholism. I don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone. My mom was, was raised in a home where her dad was a drunk till Jesus Jesus set him free. I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. I hope you are okay with that. And we got hundreds of people in this church that have gotten off alcohol because they were alcoholics. And, and they show up every Sunday and they've been free for one week, two weeks, five months, six months, five years, 30 years. I don't ever want to be a stumbling block to them. But the Jewish people were pulling this, these, these carts and, and they put their worship on it, their, their animal on it, but this cords of deceit. And they were taking over houses and they were marked with greed. And they got up in the morning and they were craving their wine, so much so that they drank all day. By the time the evening came, they were drunkards and they were inflamed with wine. They were inflamed with it. They were embracing it. Now look at verse 19. After he said, woe to those who draw sin along with cowards of deceit, wickedness with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach, let it come into view so we may know it. Here's what's going on. They're pulling, they're pulling their worship on the cart and, and the animals on the cart. And he says, you got these cords of deceit because you're pretending you're spiritual. And you get to the house of God and you say, come on, God, hurry up, show up. Do something special in this place. And God says, you want me to do something special in this place, but there's deceit and wickedness in your heart. Church, that just clinches me in my spirit. And I'm here today to say to you, I'm not perfect. But I hope I'm more like Jesus today than I was last year. I'm here to say to you that God loves every single one of us, but, but, but he wants us to pursue him. He wants us to become more like him. In fact, when Paul says to the church in Corinth, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That freedom is not a freedom to sin. It actually is a freedom to become more like Jesus. I pray that we would crave him and pursue him. I think we need to cut the cords of deceit. And we need to come into the presence of God and say, Lord, cleanse me and purge me. Third word, embrace. The fourth, now this is Brussels sprouts, isn't it? I know it is. Somebody like Mark, get a shouting amen this morning. Sorry. Number four is the word exchange. And in verse number 20, he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's the exchange. 
They take what is evil and they call it good. And they take what is good and they call it evil. They exchange evil for good. And they exchange darkness for light. And they exchange bitterness and sweetness. See, the Bible says that we're called to be the salt and the light. We're not called to be the pepper and the darkness. Here's my concern. My concern is that the enemy, Satan, wants to put deception over the church and wants us to believe things that aren't true. And he wants us to come to the conclusion that it's true. Let me give you a couple this morning. There's a growing wave today that would say that all roads lead to heaven. There's a teaching today that says everybody is going to get to heaven someday. There's a teaching today that says all religions are the same. Everything takes you to heaven. Well, church, if we take the word of God as the final authority, God's word makes it clear that the only only way to heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The word says Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Come on, can you affirm that today? Can you affirm that today? I was reading Christianity today and I was shocked what I read. And this is going to shock you this morning, but Christianity Today says the next wave that the church in Canada is going to experience is called polyamory. I said polyamory. What does that mean? Poly means many, and amory means loved, many loves. And and, and I'll tell you, friends, when I first heard this, I said, really? And Christianity Today says, no, this, this is already happening in churches, and Christians are falling for this lie. Here it is. It's like a couple that is married, husband and wife. We believe marriage is between one man and one woman because that's what the Bible says. Can anybody affirm that today? Come on, can anybody affirm that today? That's what the Bible says. But polyamory says invite someone else into the cluster. Bring another man, bring another lady, or bring another couple. And you go, well, Mark, doesn't the world call that swinging? Well, don't, doesn't the world call that polygamy? Well, you're not married. But couples coming together romantically and sexually. And, and, and this is the lie that's bought. And there's believers that have bought this lie. They say it's not adultery because it's done in the open. And my spouse knows this is happening. And we're all okay with this. And Christians who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, are saying it's okay. It's all right. How many people believe it's time we get back to the pages of the word of the living God? I said, how many people believe it's time we get back to the pages of the word of the living God? May we never trade good for evil and evil for good. May we be reminded that this is the defined, authoritative word of God. This is what we stand on. Somebody risk a little amen today. I said, somebody risk a little amen today. Mark, you're becoming a little legalistic. No, no, no. I just want to get back to the pages of God's Word. I want, I, I want Holy Spirit to convict me of what's wrong in my life. I want the Spatalia Church. Sometimes the most spiritual thing can happen on a Sunday morning when we don't say amen, but we say, ouch. Holy Spirit is speaking to us and convicting us. 
Number four, exchange. Let me take you to the fifth word, exaltation. And I see that in verse 21, and I want to make a couple comments today and hope you receive them in the spirit that I give them. But let me read verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. It's not good for people who think they're so smart in their own eyes and so clever in their own sight. I have studied all the different generations, and I'm a boomer. How many boomers are in the house today? Lift up your hand. You go, I don't know what I am. You might be a millennial. You might be a gen this. You might be the silent generation. And I've studied it, and I've seen all the characteristics, and I've, I've looked at it, and all generations have their characteristics. But, but please receive this in the spirit that I'm about to give. It's time we stop giving the label of our generation. And it's time that we realize that generations can learn from each other. My father passed away a number of years ago. When I was a young teenager, this is confession time. I'll tell you how much I thought my dad knew. You ready for this? Zippo. He was some old guy that knew nothing, that didn't understand me as a 16-year-old. As I got older and I went off to college, I realized that he had something to speak into my life. And so I'd call him up for advice and I got married. And I got to the point in life that I realized he had so much to offer. And I was grateful for the wisdom that he can impart to me. And now that he's gone, let me be honest, I, I looked at his picture yesterday in my office. And I wish he was alive today to call up. I miss him. I think one of the most spiritual things you can do in the next few weeks, is to sit with someone who's older than you and let them speak into your life. We got people in this church in their 70s, their 80s, and their 90s, and they've been around the corner a lot more times than you, and I'm grateful for that senior generation. I don't want you to be the silent generation. I want you to be a generation that will pour into the next generation. I want us to pour into the generations and to the generations. I heard a line a number of months ago, and it rattled me, and it upset me, and maybe you've heard it. And because I'm a boomer, and sometimes the millennial generation, when they, they look at the boomer generation and think, you guys are old school, you're out of touch, and, and you know, okay, boomer. I think it's time we stop that crazy cliche in Jesus' name. I think it's, we, it's time we realize that we can learn from each, we can learn from the young generation, but the young generation can learn from the senior generation. It's time that we throw away the labels and become what God calls us to be, an intergeneral church that's on fire for Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you something else. The older I get, the less I realize I know. Anybody with me today? I was 22 years of age, and I stepped into ministry. And I, I, I tell you, there's moments I thought, I can do this. What does my lead pastor know? I, I can do this. I, this is going to shock you. Get your pen out. You can quote me. I know absolutely nothing. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. May we never become wise in our own eyes. The only one who knows it all is Jesus. Can we keep growing in our faith, church? Can we keep allowing God to speak? I'll tell you, here's a danger point. You show up on a Sunday morning going, 
I heard that scripture before. There's nothing in it for me. My God in heaven, I pray every time we hear the word of God, every time we open up the word of God, that something fresh comes from the word of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. name. Posture ourselves. Don't exalt ourselves. Posture ourselves. Number six. The sixth word is excess. Excess. And I see it in verse 22. And this one gripped me. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. Wow. What are they known for? Wine drinkers. What are they known for? Champions at mixing drinks. My God in heaven. These are God's people. These are God's people. This is God's covenant people. This is the nation of Israel. This is his vineyard. And they're going, I'm a champion at mixing drinks. Yeah, I'm known for being the best drink mixer on the planet. I'm a champion at mixing drinks. I'm a hero at drinking wine. Church, when you die and someone does your eulogy, what are they say that you are known for? I just want to be known for someone who loves Jesus. And is passionate to reach people. I want to love God. Love my family. And love people. Anybody with me this morning? I just want to love God. Love my family. What are you known for? Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. And champions at mixing drink. Number seven. Two words. Exploitation. And exclusion. And in verse 23, the first part is exploitation. And the second part is exclusion. It says, who acquit the guilty for a bribe. That's the exploitation. I mean, those that had money, they would bribe the leaders and they would let them off with their crime. You know, you got money, you can buy me on this, and I'll let you away with it. They, they, they acquitted the guilty for a bribe. They bought them off. Exploitation. But the one that gripped me the most as I was reading this is the next part, exclusion. But they denied justice to the innocent. The innocent that couldn't speak for themselves. The innocent that didn't have money, they excluded them. And they forgot about them. And they didn't care about them. And I felt the Lord remind me that everybody matters to God. May we never be a church that says you're welcome here, but you're not welcome here. May we be a church that everybody's welcome to come as they are and experience power in Jesus. I pray they come as they are and change, transform by a living God. Somebody, 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 somebody say amen. The drunkard, the drug addict, the prostitute, the bruised, the broken are all welcome to come and experience Jesus. The last thing that I want to leave with you, it's the word extinction. There's another word that came to me as I was studying this, and I didn't put it in the notes. It's the word explosion. 
But let me camp on the word extinction. Let me read to you verse 24 and invite the worship band and team to come if you would. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, let me break it down, as tongues of fire, everybody say tongues of fire, one, two, three, tongues of fire, say it again, tongues of fire, hold on to those words, therefore, as tongues of fire lick up the straw, the straw is so dry that the fire came down and consumed it quickly, as dry grass sinks down into the flames. The grass is so dry that it sinks into the flames. There's a dryness about them. And God is speaking through Isaiah, saying that God's people are dry on the inside. They're like straw. As tongues of fire lick up straws, dry grass sinks down into the flames. So their roots well decay, and their flowers blow away like dust. I've done enough gardening to know this, that if the roots aren't deep, the flower will never last. If the roots aren't deep, the plant will never last. I pray that we would be a church and you and I would be a people of deep roots, that we'd be rooted in the Word of God, rooted in prayer, rooted in a love for Jesus Christ, that our roots would be deep, that we would not have an extinction, that we would not be like a fire that goes out, that we would not be like something that is lost and dead, but we would be, we'd be like a people that are on fire for God. It was in 1906 at an old warehouse in Los Angeles, California that a one-eyed Afro-American preacher blind in one eye uneducated not a lot of schooling got an old warehouse at 302 Azusa Street and started to preach. And for three solid years, revival hit that old warehouse. They say that he would get up and preach in white and black and Hispanic and Asian. And every culture would come in. And these were the days of great divide amongst nationalities. Let me push pause. How many people are glad that we're part of a multicultural church? Anybody glad for that? The rich, the poor would come in. William Seymour would preach. And after he preached, he'd stand in the background, Pastor Brad, and he would put his head in an old shoebox. He literally put his head in the shoebox. He didn't want anyone to see him. And the power of God showed up. People got saved. People got healed. People got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there were some Canadians that left their church, their city, and tracked by train down to Los Angeles and got a touch of God and came back and started what we call the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Churches were planted. The first church in this movement happened right outside the city of Ottawa in Kinburn, Ontario. You fast forward, there's like 1,200 Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada churches across this nation. And God's done some great work, but I'm here to say to you, if we're not careful, a movement can turn into a monument. A movement can dry up. And we can become just like what it says here, therefore, as tongues 
of fire lick up straw and as dry grass sinks down in the flames so their roots will declay and their flowers blow away like dust. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that I felt the Lord. Come on, everybody on your feet. I, I felt the Lord spoke to me to say this to this house today. I don't want there to be extinction. I want there to be explosion. Anybody know the second time tongues of fire is mentioned in the Bible? Acts chapter 2. 120 in an upper room. Cloven tongues of fire came and rested on each of them. And they were all immersed in the Holy Spirit. Pastor Brad, I was 19 years old. I go to Eastern Pentecostal Bible College. That's where Evelyn and I met. We didn't have a president. We were waiting for Bob Tatensher to come as the president. It's now our days of prayer. God showed up. God showed up. I could tell you so many stories. Let me tell you just two. The girls started a prayer meeting in the dorms. Because one girl was hungry for Holy Spirit. And before long, the entire floor of ladies are on their feet, on their, on their face, calling out to God. And God showed up in a powerful way. And all the guys in the men dorms are sound asleep. I got three stories. That's one. The second story and the third story bleed together. We got back to our classes. And I'll never forget Art Wilkins starting to teach. And Holy Spirit showed up in that classroom. And he stopped the class and sent us back into the gymnasium. And for three solid days, that school, 500 students crowded in the gymnasium, experienced a move of God. And I remember, here's the final story. I was Pastor Brad. I'm 19 years of age, baptized in the Holy Spirit, call of God on my life. And honey, I think you were in that room when it happened. <laughs> I, I tell you, I was, I was one of those guys that came to school with my briefcase and my pinstripe suit. And I, I, was, I was, it was just me. I was straight-laced. And people started to pray. And Holy Spirit hit me like a, like a, like a fire. And all of a sudden, I started to dance in the presence of the Lord. And they told me I was jumping around like a jackrabbit through that auditorium. Can you picture that? I was so wrecked and saturated in the presence of God. I didn't care who saw me. All I know was that Holy Spirit had come upon me and done a great work. I don't want any one of us to become a monument I want us to be a movement on fire with the power of the living God. Church, the hope for this church is a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of the living God. Anybody want a touch of God this morning? Anybody want a touch of God this morning? Just lift your hands right now. 
Father God, I believe I've been faithful to what you put in my heart. I pray, God, that Holy Spirit would break into this service right now. And I pray, God, that any cords of deceit would be broken in the name of Jesus. Claw out any greed. Claw out anything in our life that shouldn't be there. And now, God, let the tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit fall in this room right now. I pray, Jesus, that we would crave you more than anything. I pray in the name of the Lord, you would be more to us than anything. I pray, God, every generation today would receive a fresh outpouring of the living God in this place. I pray in our young people. I pray on every age group. Power of the living God, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Say that with me right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it again. Come, Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus wants to come in this place. Pastor Brad, just begin to lead us. And I just want to open this service right now to whatever God wants to do. If you want to come and stand at the front, you come. But let's, church, just reach out to God. Jesus wants to do something. The Spirit of God wants to do something right now. Reach out to God. Let Him touch you. Pastor Brad's going to lead us in that just a few more times. And God is in the house this morning, friends. And I believe that the Spirit of the living God is staying pressing to Him. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is saying in this place today that He wants to send a fresh wave of His Holy Spirit into this place this morning. I believe that He wants to release the fire of the living God in this place today. I believe He wants to burn away stuff in our life that shouldn't be there. But I also believe that He wants to refresh. He wants to rekindle. He wants to re-energize. He wants to give a fresh touch of His Spirit upon everyone in this place from youngest to eldest. God is in the house this morning. And I, I, I just want to invite you, if you'd like to leave where you're standing and come and press in at this altar, don't wait, friends. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. We, we, could, we could shut down this service right now and we could just go home. But I'll tell you right now, I, I just believe that, that God just wants to step in and do something fresh and something mighty in your hearts and in your lives. I believe that the Spirit of the living God is in this place. I believe I've been faithful to what the Lord wanted me to say. And I just, I just believe the Lord is saying, just slow down and press in and let the windows of heaven open in this place. So, so come on, church, just open your hearts. Go ahead, Brad. Go ahead and lead us.